Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy, my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff. Text me 949-415-6256. Please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book, The Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research. It's been selling really well, getting very well received by the community. Thank you guys so much for that. Also check out the YouTube member page. Join this channel to get perks. That's my YouTube uh, membership. It's 10 bucks a month. You get a monthly mastermind exclusively. It's a Zoom call every month with other YouTube members. Uh, You also get weekly videos exclusive to the YouTube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences. So check that out. Really means a lot to me. And thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show. Hip and discuss like just a real conversation. Um, And so we've got Andy Chan. Thank you so much for coming on, Andy. No, thanks for having me. Hey, you know what? Like, you're the author of the book, The Dynamic Balance. I will buy the book. Okay, I have it on my uh, wish list right now. Uh, So what, can you tell us what's the book about? And then I'm going to get into, actually, hold on. I have your bio here. So Andy Chan is a certified strength and conditioning specialist educator and presenter from Hong Kong. Andy has a genuine passion for making positive impact in the fitness industry through learning and sharing different unique methodologies. He currently teaches education courses on behalf of companies such as the National Academy of Sports Medicine, TRX, this is why we want Dr. Elite on here, TRX, Trigger Point Performance, and Power Plate. He has made guest appearance on Hong Kong television shows as well as presenting at different public fitness events. Drawing on his master's degree in exercise science and influenced by his 10-year stay in the United States, Andy has a unique outlook on health and athletic performance. You'll find hits, hints of traditional Chinese medicine. I love that. we got to talk about that. Integrated into his training philosophy where harmony between all aspects of life is a prerequisite to optimal health and human performance. And like sounds, I said... Sounds impressive. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Uh, so, thank you so much, Andy, for coming on. No, it's it's my pleasure. You know, every single time when when hosts read that bio, you know, it's it's a confidence booster. You know, sometimes you <laughs> you go on and I'm a bit nervous, and then you read the bio and you're like, okay, I cannot be nervous because the bio sounds so good. You know. Yeah, you've done so much shit, so it's like amazing. Um, so you, tell us you. about like your life. Where did you grow up? Where were you born? I'm going to hit you up yeah, on LinkedIn. So I, Are you on LinkedIn? 
I'm on LinkedIn. I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. I gotta find uh, you on every place now, man. And we're gonna put exactly. links underneath to everything. Yeah, and we're gonna be connected everywhere. So I'm. Uh, I was born in Hong Kong, born and raised, and then I went to the U.S. at age 13 for 10 years. So I was there for middle school, high school, and university, and then I I came back to Hong Kong. So. Uh, yeah, I would say my life philosophy or training philosophy really is kind of influenced by both, both cultures. Because obviously, being a teenager in the U.S., my my core values, uh, I would say, are developed there. And so, my my outlook on life, on learning, on ways to achieve business success, for example, you know, this go-getter approach, is all de- developed in the U.S. <laughs> Ambition. Where in the U.S. again? Yep. So I was in New England. I was in Massachusetts, Connecticut, oh. and then I was in Indiana for the last four years, which is in the middle of nowhere. If anyone yeah. is not familiar with geography <laughs> in the U.S., A.K.A. called a flyover state, they get made fun of a lot, but they actually have a lot of benefits to uh, perks of living there. I'm I'm in Arizona, but I used to be in California. Chris is in California. We're like California West Coast dudes, but so you know, I give respect to the flyover states. So I'm curious, which state did you prefer? Well, for me, I my younger brother, uh, he was in UCLA for four years. So I, I we had an apartment out there, so I would go over uh, once in a while. And obviously, you know, the food in California is great. People is great. Uh, price, not so much because everything tends to double when I, when I get over there. But mm-hmm. I think California, California would be quite nice just because of the cuisine and, and the diverse culture, whereas... You know, to be honest, in the Midwest, sometimes racism would still be a big thing. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go off a tangent, but sometimes I would walk on the street and people would roll down their windows and be like, go home. <laughs> really? And in, you know, the, the, in Indiana? Wow. In Indiana, it would in, in a college campus where uh, it is more diverse than other towns already, because I think there were 5,000, 6,000 international kids with uh, on campus. And yet, you know, these fools still think it's funny to just roll down their windows and tell us to go home. So, um, yeah, I, I, I imagine that it happens in California, probably in certain neighborhoods. But I, I just think that it is a bit more uh, diverse out there. So it happens uh, it everywhere, probably man. be more comfortable. Yeah, unfortunately, it happens everywhere. Um, but... Okay, so California, we you know we're California dudes. Um, so, what got you into your career path? Like, was there anything else you did? Like, what did you study in school? Be, uh, was there any minors or anything? I know you get the masters in in uh, science, education, and uh, exercise. Yeah, so my undergraduate degree was actually in accounting, in, in business. Ah. Uh, it was quite a boring degree, to be honest with you. Uh, but that's what uh, my university was known for, its business program. And after university, I, I came back to Hong Kong, and I wanted to become a professional soccer player uh, because soccer is Serious. my big passion growing up. And and I didn't play I didn't play uh, in Indiana because they're one of the top three teams in, in the nation, so I, I couldn't make it. Uh, but when I came back, I had I had the chance to go on a trial with a professional team. So, you know, whenever you're given the opportunity, of course, you say yes. And so I went, I went on a trial and, yeah, it was a fun experience. I, I remember one day we were doing agility drills. So for anyone listening, if you have no idea what that is, you know, you set up these cones and you're on the floor doing these fancy moves in order to, in order to work on your coordination. And we're going about doing these moves. And then the coach... Uh, the fitness coach pulled me aside, right? And he was like, you know, Andy, when other people move, they move very agilely. 
it's like they're like a rabbit, right? You just touch and go, you touch and change direction. But when you change direction, you have your arms out to the side, you do like a 180 degree turn, and then you, you, you change direction. And in other words, why are you so stiff, man? And I had a bit of an interesting <laughs> moment because it's like Chris when he dances. Doing, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and what I realized was what I was doing inside the gym for four years at Indiana uh, as 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 part of my bodybuilding workout, you know, it wasn't beneficial to my athletic performance because I was a bit stiffer. And we know that that split second, if you're a split second slower than other people on elite uh, at the elite level, then you're gonna concede a goal or you miss that opportunity. So that's kind of when I. I I figured I need to get into the fitness industry so that I can help those who are on the path. And so I got into fitness. And then the more I get into it, the more I realize I need to go back to school because um, there's just so much to learn about within the health and fitness space. And if I want to differentiate myself career-wise, and if I just want to be a responsible coach, I, I need to go back to school so that I can at least have the qualifications to back up what I say. So uh, for what you currently do, is there a market in Hong Kong for this? Yeah, there, there's a there's a very big market. I mean, the, the fitness industry is blooming, I think, worldwide. And so uh, it is common to have a personal trainer now, uh, especially uh, within the neighborhood that I live in, uh, because I, I work in kind of the, the central business hub uh, of, of, of Hong Kong. So it is quite normal to have a personal trainer mm. and mm-hmm. everyone's thriving. But at the same time, because the barrier to entry is, is quite low. So uh, it is quite competitive as it Break. is uh, around the world. Andy, break it down for us Westerners when people speak of Hong Kong. Like, what do we have comparison here? Like, what is it like compared to New York, New York City? Oh, uh, it's the same. Uh, p- people are pissed off all the time. I mean, you. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the perks about being in the U.S. is in a small town in the U.S. is people would hold the door for each other. I mean, this sounds funny, but it's such a small act of kindness, but it's not until I come back, it's not until I came back to Hong Kong, if you visit one of the big cities that you realize that, wow, actually holding the door for the next person, <laughs> it is it's such a gracious act. Uh, but in Hong Kong, this would never happen. And I can just <laughs> tell you an example. Uh, sometimes when my friends visit from America, they'll be here and they're like, oh, uh, can you teach us some word in Cantonese, uh, the dialect that we speak here? And uh, how do you say, how are you? And I'll tell them, you don't say how are you in Hong Kong because you, you you never check in with people. Nobody you just cares about your business. <laughs> yeah, no one cares. Seriously, no one cares about how you're doing. So uh, yeah, it just speaks to the culture. I mean, um, I would say people are usually grumpy or pissed off. Mental health is a big issue just because uh, mm. it is quite crowded here. So and how do you say get the hell out of my way? Well, you don't. Well, the thing is, you bump into people, right? So let's say if you're on the street, you bump into <laughs> someone. You know, we're at the place where you don't even say sorry. You just keep walking. I mean, okay. it's, it's, it's quite terrible. Um, right. Wow. Well, in New York, they might say, get the hell out of my way. You yeah. do that they here, you're going to have a problem with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting, well, man. What about... Um, so, okay, so writing the book, like, we know... We know Chris and I wrote co-wrote this thing, right? And it's only like it's about research is what we do. It's only like 190 pages, and that's with ads and with um, pictures. So, but this took us like forever. So I know how hard from one author to another. You know, we know how hard it is, but a lot of people don't appreciate 
um, the difficulty it took? Like, first of all, what inspired you to write it? And then what was that process like of writing the book? Yeah, well, first of all, your book, I love the cover. I mean, I like I like the contrast of blue and orange. I mean, it's it's eye catching. And and one of we the stole key it. Was to... we stole it. So <laughs> we stole the idea from two places. I love Robert Green. So he wrote the 48 Laws of Power. So this is like his colors. And then Tim Ferriss did this on Tools of Titans. So I just combined those two elements. I was like, we have to do that. And Chris was like, okay. Chris doesn't care what anything looks like. He's like, all right. And so that's what we rolled with. But thank you, Andy. He he cares about the content. It's the content that matters. No, but really, the the book cover is is important because that's the first thing that people see. So, Mm -hmm. um, But yeah, respect to you guys as well for for writing the book. For me, it took about three years um, just because I also had a co-author. And I'm sure you guys know that you could be great buddies with with your with your co-author but sometimes when it comes to writing a book or any in any project i think a lot of communication is is needed and whenever communication is involved a lot of time uh has to be put into it just because there's a lot of back and forth discussion but the thing that inspired me to write the book was actually my master's project Um, so as part of my master's degree we had to do a statistics course Uh, and that is because with all the evidence-based uh, practice out there or, or with all the research out there, we have to learn to interpret, right? I'm sure you guys uh, talk a lot about this, right? We, we have to be able to read research. Oz will just be throwing out like every other guy out there, oh, research says this, research. So mm-hmm. in, in that term, in that semester, in the statistics, statistics class, we learn to interpret research. And as part of the class, we we there was a project when we get to pick our own question and then we get to look into the database to look into what the research says about the topic that we are curious in and for me at the time i really wanted to know the efficacy of cubbing so for those who don't know cubbing is uh these it might be silicone or might be glass uh cups that you apply Mm -hmm. on the body and it it sucks the skin out of it and after the treatment you're going to see these purple dots on the skin and this was made popular by Michael Phelps in, in the Olympics in the West, uh, whereas in the, in the East, uh, in Southeast Asia, people have been applying this technique for thousands of years. And so I, I, I wanted to know what the research says about it, because it, it was quite interesting to me to apply the Western lens to an Eastern practice, really, because that's where it originated. And while I was looking into the database, I, I found that there were two perspectives or two narratives on this topic. One is the Western human movement science side. So in this side, the research mainly focuses on soft tissue. So and in other words, when I apply uh, cubbing technique or other modalities to my skin, what happens to the soft tissue? Does it alter the state of it? Um, what, what, what happens physically to the soft tissue? Now, when I get, when I get to the Eastern side, uh, it was when things got a bit mystical and, and esoteric because you look online and they would talk about all these Chinese medicine terms, qi, blood, yin, yang, five elements. And, and I can be honest with you, even as a person who grew up in Hong Kong, I had no idea what these terms were about because growing up, no one was ever able to explain to me in a tangible way what these terms meant. So my experience with Chinese medicine at the time would only be, okay, I'll see the yin, yang sign at the local massage store inside a dodgy mall. And you have no idea what goes on inside. And mm-hmm. that's, that's as much as I know. And, and so, you know, that sparked an interest in me and it sparked an idea. And that was to perhaps 
go into Chinese medicine a bit more from more of a digestible and scientific background um, because I, I, I think that the Western audience would benefit a lot from the philosophy. So I, at the time, you know, I also asked myself, how can I differentiate, right? Because as I said, the, the fitness industry is quite a competitive market. So we should play to our own strength. And for me, it makes perfect sense that I will be the guy to explore this topic because there's, there's actually no other book on, on Amazon that explores fitness training and, and Chinese medicine. So uh, that's how the idea came about. And after three years, the book was born. So did you find any scientific uh, rationale behind cupping? Yeah, well, I, I think right now the research tells us that there is efficacy in terms of soft tissue release. But I'll say that when it comes to the claims that Chinese medicine has, those things are, are a bit harder to prove. And that is because of the language that they use. And I guess I can use this opportunity to just break down why I say that. When we talk about Chinese medicine, you often hear terms like qi, blood, yin, yang, five elements. And what they are essentially is they are languages that the Chinese medicine practitioners use to describe energy. Because if you think about the West in physiology, you would talk about ATP, you talk about blood sugar level, you talk about the pH uh, level and et cetera. But if you think about Chinese medicine, thousands of years ago, they would not have the equipment necessary to figure out all these stuff. So what they did was they, they thought of analogies and they thought of uh, languages that could describe different phenomena. So in, in their perspective, you have to understand that all the terms within Chinese medicine, they always have two connotations. One is the functional meaning and second is the philosophical. Okay, so qi. Functionally, it just means energy, all right? Everything has qi, I have qi, you have qi, everyone has qi, the rock has qi. Um, basically, whatever item there is on earth, uh, there would be an energy attached to it. So that's functional. Second is philosophical. Qi is something that you cannot see, but it is something that sustains life and energy. So I think usually it's the philosophical side that get people's heads spinning because they're like, what do you mean philosophical? I cannot see Qi. What are you saying? Uh, it must be false. So I think with that in mind, usually this is where things get lost in research because it's it, there's always a philosophical meaning to the terms in Chinese medicine. So it is quite hard to prove from a scientific point of view because it has to be quite black and white in order to be proven by research. And, and I think that's kind of where, where the gap is um, at the moment. So to translate like you're saying there, chi to, to say physics, it'd be like uh, what static or excuse me, yeah, static and no, kinetic and potential energy, something like that, right? Where you can prove kinetic, the stored energy, you have no idea what the potential energy, depending on how it's released, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good analogy. I might have to use that next time. <laughs> <laughs> There's this good book. Uh, I've actually interviewed this guy, John Leaf. He's a psychiatrist. He wrote the book, The Secret Language of Cells. And we probably have him on again, Chris, on our show. And, you know, he actually references Chinese medicine in the book because he's a Western researcher, obviously. And, the more neurotransmitters we're discovering signaling molecules, like we're just starting to discover this stuff, it's almost exactly what Chinese medicine says. You know, they just have different words for it. But the way the neurons send signals to various muscle cells and across different parts of the body, they're far away. They're not touching. So it is qi. It, it's the same thing. And it can be stimulated by needles, you know, like they do in acupuncture. 
um, or it could be stimulated by drugs like they do in Western medicine. But it's the same thing. That's crazy um, how the Chinese were on this like thousands of years ago, right? Yeah, it is. And then I also think on the topic of acupuncture, we, are, we also have to be cautious in reading the research because you know, some people will claim that acupuncture is a pseudoscience because uh, they would say that it's, it's a placebo effect. Um, because if you look into the research a lot of times, in, in order for there to be randomized controlled trial, uh, there, there has to be a, a placebo effect. And, and so in acupuncture, the placebo would be, I don't know, a toothpick or just something that's pointy. But the fact is, whenever we're applying something to the skin, we are altering uh, because there are sensors on the skin that would also send our brain signals, right? And so we, we also have to take that into consideration when we, when we say that this is not uh, is a placebo effect because what we're saying is whenever we're touching the skin, we're, we're, we're manipulating it or we're sending a signal to the skin. So just be careful whenever you read terms like that because to me, that's also an indicator that maybe the, the person making the statement not, not truly understanding what research is about because you cannot really have a placebo for acupuncture. That's what I'm saying. Exactly right. Yeah, especially when you're literally impacting either the pathways of the, of the cell signaling or you're directly stimulating a nerve to send more signals than it is, like one, you know, a nerve uh, that's been asleep. Or something like that. You're waking it up. So yeah, there's no way that could be placebo. As soon as you puncture the skin, it's no longer placebo. You're causing inflammation. You're causing all kinds of things. Yeah. So there you go, Chris. I've been telling Chris about acupuncture for like ten years. It's, it's time well, it's you funny, go. My, uh... It's time you go to an acupuncturist. Yeah, Chris. I mean, it would dance better. Dance better. Don't well, think it is frightening. It is frightening. I mean, I, I brought my wife, uh, my wife, uh, when she was pregnant two years ago, you know, uh, she tried an acupuncture uh, session and then, you know, she was laying there and you know, in acupuncture, you have all these needles on your body. She's like, what is this on my body? Can I move? You know, if I move, am I going to die? Yeah. And, no. <laughs> it is frightening. It is frightening. And my last, ac- one of my first acupuncture sessions, I've, I go like a few times a year in one of them. I, w- I, I went for anxiety. This was like seven years ago, and the guy was putting the acupuncture, and you know how they tell you, hey, I'm going to leave for 20 minutes, put some nice music. You're going to feel like they even added electrical pulse. You're going to feel pulses. Don't worry. You know, it's normal. I'll come back. Just try not to move. So uh-huh. he left. I'm sitting there, anxiety already. Like, that's why I'm there for. And... I start freaking out. My mind is like, what if there's an earthquake right now and all the staff run out of here and I have to like pull out all these needles and I don't have time. My mind is just messing with me. Of course it didn't happen, but you know, anxiety is a real thing. So Chris, you got to do it, man. You got to try acupuncture, maybe live on the show. Hmm. Yeah, that would be a good episode. Andy, when's the next time you're coming to SoCal? Can you do this on Chris? (laughs) (laughs) So is there, is there an education for being an acupuncture? puncturist i guess there is i mean people go to school and uh you know i i i'm just a fitness instructor so i'm, I'm obviously not qualified to perform anything diagnose anything related to chinese medicine as i only implement the philosophies of it uh to my training but 
uh, there people go to school for it. It's a doctorate degree and you, you have to be licensed. So make sure you, you go to a quality one. But I also want to remind, remind everyone that I, I also think that a lot of people are underqualified. And, and so you, you have to do your due diligence and make so, sure that you go to the right one. Don't just go to a random person. Sounds very similar to a chiropractor in terms of yeah. yes, there is an education, but there's less, definitely lesser quality chiropractors. Yeah, and sometimes you go there, you're like, what am I getting myself into? Exactly. My acupuncturist acupun back in Irvine, she went, all her diplomas are on the wall. She went to like two different universities in Shanghai, equivalent of over eight years of studying just for that. So I trusted her, and there mm. were benefits from it. And I went like one, twice a month for like six months. Uh, you know what's interesting about about going to school in Shanghai is so my co-author Stella Wong she's she has a PhD in Chinese medicine from University of Hong Kong, and coincidentally her her research focus was on anxiety and acupuncture, and um, but but on on the on the Shanghai medical uh, education system nowadays within the Chinese medicine curriculum Stella my co-author was telling me that in in China, let's say it's, it's a four year degree. The first two years, you learn the Western medical system first before you progress into the Chinese medical system, and and I believe that's a that's actually a good idea to study both because in the past, you know, obviously if you do conventional Western medicine, you just do that, and if you do Chinese medicine, you only do Chinese medicine. But but we now know that, you know, the, if there is great science in the Western side and it has changed thousands, millions of lives, and 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 so I think a lot of them are doing like a hybrid. Um, schooling system which i which i believe actually should be the philosophy or should be the kind of the, the way to go for all of us too if we can take the best of both worlds then we can truly make the best decisions because you know what i've realized so far is going on these podcasts people think that because i i i use some of chinese medicine therefore i must be a diehard chinese medicine you know person fan whatever but you know, i believe that for anyone listening if they can just take the best of everything i think they'll make much healthier decisions and and as a result they, they will find better health and longevity yeah i would completely agree with that yeah the book you know i'm i'm ordering it it's on the way um the description here on amazon shows why the rigors of western approaches to training often create imbalances in our physical and mental health they explain traditional chinese medicine principles and techniques in simple terms and demonstrate how incorporating traditional Chinese medicine into our lifestyle and workouts can help us perform at the best and be at our healthiest. TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, is not a myth or weird alternative to real medicine, but an ancient practice that's based in science and relevant to us today. So you're going to learn how to evaluate your current state of your body, find the root causes of your imbalances. Um, maybe we can talk about some of this stuff because I... Like, what's the rationale overall, like on a macro level, to your training regimen or your philosophy, maybe? Yeah. Uh, obviously, in, in, in the U.S., you would go to a qualified professional for a particular area. So when it comes to health and fitness, you go to your personal trainer. You go to your sports medicine professional, be it athletic trainer or physio or uh, physical therapist. And then you might go to a dietitian for dietary advice. The great thing about this is you go, the expert that you're going to, that you're visiting is an absolute expert in, in that area, uh, just because he or she will have specialized in that area for a number of years. 
The problem is that there's no communication between different professionals, unless if you really do make an effort, unless if it's within the same sensor. Um, so what we're saying in, in direct balance is that if you look into Chinese medicine, or if you look to other ancient cultures, for example, they will have recognized the fact that different areas of life are uh, intricately linked and they're interconnected. So it is impossible for us just to isolate one area because that means we, we will have overlooked other areas that might cause imbalance. So, you know, in diet balance, we, we basically just look at three key areas of lifestyle. How are we eating? So our diet, does it match my current body state doesn't match the weather because the season and the weather actually it, it drives our mood and the way we feel. And then we looked at emotions, you know, are we managing emotions? Okay. Chances are with all the distractions available now, you know, we are in a continuous state of partial attention because there's always a distraction, right? Social media uh, and, and stuff. So we're always stressed, which means a lot of people have anxiety. Um, and especially we, we know that. Anxiety disorder is just a false trigger of anxiety because there's a perceived threat that is not genuine. And, and so a lot of times that is, yeah, yeah. That is happening because of, I don't know, we're overstressed or we're overstimulated. And so we looked at emotions. And then lastly, we, we looked at training, which is the bread and butter of what I do uh, and, and the ways we train. And, and ultimately uh, if we kind of look at the three areas and how they're linked, we will realize that actually they, they have a nocturnal effect before, because how the way I feel would drive what I eat and what I eat would mm. dictate, you know, how I feel. So, so, and, and it's, it's the same way when it comes to training, right? If I'm just training to be stiff, then I'm not going to make it to a professional <laughs> level because I'm going to be a horrible dancer like Chris. This is hilarious. Best interview yeah, ever. So that, best guest <laughs> ever. Wow. Andy, I love you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's gonna that's gonna get us nowhere. And and, and, uh, and so they're all linked. You know, what do you say to those guys that say like I mean you're exactly right, like feelings I think feelings obviously they can't be ignored because I know people who have pushed their feelings, you know, buried them so deep. My brother in law's uh twenty years, he's a firefighter paramedic and he's not a, never been a guy to talk about his feelings and 20 years into it he's like hey man you know ptsd like i'm starting to see like that in me like i've walled myself off like you bring that shit home what do you say to those guys who say like you know but at the same time like so you can't ignore your feelings but you also can't be just a slave to your feelings and I don't know if you like do this as far as the coaching as well. Or, like, do you incorporate this into your, cause some days you like, you wake up, you don't feel like working out, you know, but like David Goggins said, fuck your feelings, you know, do it anyways. Uh, what a guy, David Goggins, book, man, can't hurt me. It's, it's a good read. book. I need to get yours. Yours is on the way. Your, I ordered the paperback. Yeah. Oh, yep, so I, I think, well, first of all, we, we need to know that, working out, exercising, it just doesn't make sense biologically, okay? I, I know I'm a fitness instructor, this might shock someone, but listen to this, exercising, it's, it's just unnatural because throughout human history, we never had to voluntarily suffer. And essentially that's what we do, okay? When you go to the gym for one hour on that treadmill, you suffer for an hour. Uh, if you think about human history, there's always been a function to physical activity, all right? I'm going to hunt. I'm going to get water. I'm sending my kids to wherever. Okay. So I, I, 
I think that to answer the question of the lack of motivation of not wanting to exercise, I think if you don't really have a purpose to exercise, then that's always going to be difficult uh, because mm -hmm. there's no purpose to why you exercise. So always set a goal. You know, I'm here so that I, I want to look better in that dress or I want to be a better athlete or I just want to be healthier. I think if you have that in you, it'll be much easier to start. Uh, so that's one. And then on, on the emotions part, for me, I like to stick with principles because obviously there could be a spectrum of, of mental wellness or mental health issues that people go through. Uh, but for me, when they walk in, I stress it to them that it's really important that they practice breathing. So breathing is a common practice throughout all cultures. And, and now there's an increased level of evidence that supports the idea that breathing is uh, using breathing as a kind of relaxation technique. Um, and, and by breathing, I don't mean going to a meditation class. Um, while they could do that, but I, I can tell you that most of my clients in Hong Kong would not have the time to go to a meditation class once every single day. Because, you know, in my, in my opinion, if you just go once a week, then it's, it's not that effective. It's effective, but it doesn't really change your life. Um, so for me, it's all about the small, small moments. Like when you're waiting for the elevator, whenever you have a minute to spare, you just work on deep breathing. So through, through your belly button, you do some deep breaths. And we know that that will downregulate, it will calm the nervous system, it will calm the mind down. And we know that when the mind is uh, downregulating, that's gonna improve your digestion, that's gonna relax your body, you're not gonna be as stiff. So, and then actually, this is a good segue to talk about why, why that is. And, and we know that whenever we're stressed, like people who are anxious, uh, usually don't digest very well. Um, and that's because, you know, before an important meeting, before an important game, we'll, we will experience an upset stomach uh, or butterflies in the stomach. And that is because whenever we are in that fight, fight or flight or whenever we're, that, we're in that heightened state, our digestive system temporarily shuts off so that other parts of the body can utilize uh, blood flow and other resources. Um, so we know that the mind wants to prep the body into fight or flight because there is a threat or perceived threat right in front of us. So I either fight it or I leap. And at the same time, not only does the digestive system temporarily takes a break, your soft tissue or your muscles become stiffer because I have to generate force as fast as possible in order to fight or, or run as fast as possible. So my muscles also becomes more stiff. And that's why when you think about people who are stressed all the time, they are likely to be the ones who are stiff, you know, as stiff as a robot. And, and because that is intricately linked to our mind, if our minds are relaxed, then the whole body will relax as well. So this is where breathing comes in because we, we kind of want to downregulate the system so that we're not just always stress, 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 stress. Um, and, and in the yin yang philosophy, this is where balance comes in because you want both stress and recovery. So I have a couple of comments. So one, uh, recently I at least proved to myself that what you're saying about breathing is true. Um, like Dan, I take my blood pressure at least once a day. And I noticed when I take deep breaths during my blood pressure being taken, that everything drops 10 to 20 points. So wow. it's just, it's, it shows that the, the deep breathing is relaxing to the body, right? I think that kind of proves it, at least in my opinion, at least as far as I go for myself. Um, the other, in regards to why do you exercise, and completely agree that it wasn't required or necessary 100 years ago. I mean, we've got plenty of exercise just doing our daily functions. But now, sitting behind a desk, you have to go torture yourself. Um, 
I would say one of the benefits is emotional. So for me, I, I try to go running five times a week, three, three miles a day. That's about all the exercise I get. And the rest of the time I'm sitting behind a desk. But what, what gets me out the door to go do it is I just feel more emotionally healthy, right? I'm not on edge. I'm not easily agitated after I've exercised. And I think that's probably true for most people. Right. It's just not a matter of looking better or, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have to be vain and say, I want to look better to go exercise. Right. It's, 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 it's helpful just to you and inner peace. Yeah. You know, on that note, I was reading a book called exercise by Daniel Laberman. I think that's his name. And he was saying that, you know, dopamine and serotonin, uh, both happy hormones, they're they're released uh, after exercise. And, Mm -hmm. And some people don't get them. Uh, what he found was that especially those who are obese or they're just a bit out of shape, they're a bit insensitive. So that's why it's it's hard to have them hooked. Because for you, Chris, you know, you, you if you don't go run, you're gonna feel like something is missing sometimes for too yep. long. Yep. Um, and and so just know that for people who are obese, it might take a while for the hormones, the happy hormones, to kick in. But eventually, that they, they'll get it and they'll love it. Hmm. I wasn't aware of that. That. Uh... You're unfortunately, if you're overweight, it takes a while. You have to lose some weight for it to kick in, huh? Yeah, I think you just have to train the sensitivity back because you, you okay. that part of the the brain is shut off to it's a bit reluctant to to physical activity. It's getting all its dopamine from the ice cream you eat. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ice cream, Netflix, and yeah. uh, whatever. Instant gratification. We want instant. You know. Um, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. One of our guest on this podcast uh, dr sabine hazen she's a microbiome um researcher and you know she's she's actually doing like a study she has like a thousand studies going on ladies crazy crazy mm-hmm. in a good way but crazy mm-hmm. nonetheless and... test to that <laughs> <laughs> so she would see she's doing the study on uh people who exercise regularly versus those who don't and their microbiome so like pretty soon i'm pretty sure i know the results of that one like you know, the people who exercise regularly are going to have a healthier gut biome than those who don't. Well, you know, some no offense to the lady, but sometimes I feel like, you know, certain researches are not even necessary. Like the other day I was online and I saw this t- a research title being in green space is better for you, according to research, uh, than the computer. <laughs> and I, I was like, Go seriously, figure. do you have to wait? wait? Yeah. Go figure, right? Go figure. One of our friends, Monica, who's like super positive about everything and she would love you. We're going to have you on maybe for Latinos in clinical research, too. But uh, she'd send us this documentary. She said, hey, watch this. Uh, It's people who walk barefoot on grass or dirt. You know, it's like, well, like you said, and you don't need to. uh, It's obvious, especially if you live in a in a concrete jungle like Manhattan or Hong Kong. You know, it's hard to find grass. That's why they make it such a huge initiative to get parks and all that stuff, like in those mm-hmm. crowded spaces. So, yeah, a lot of this common sense, guys. Come on. We're losing our common sense now. We need well, dynamic no balance. We need dynamic yeah, yeah, balance. No That's sense. the book. Dynamic balance, guys. That's the book. Link underneath. But we're not done yet. You know, if you can still go, Andy, we can still go. I got tons more. Yeah, I can still go. Let's go. I love this gift, Chris. This is going to go. <laughs> the audio is going to go on my podcast as a bonus episode. And the video is going to go on. We'll ha- we'll edit like a short clips for Guru. And then we'll do the full thing on Chris and Dan show. It's amazing. So, okay. 
Speaking of balance, like the book, the difference between balance and harmony. You, yeah. you, you like this idea. There's a difference because to me, it sounds the same. So what's different? What am I missing? Yeah, so the difference between balance and harmony. In, in our book, we prefer to use the word harmony only because if you think about an orchestra. So today, let's say you and Chris decide to go to a music concert. I don't know how, how, how what are you guys' interest in music. But, We'd have you know, to agree say... on the concert first. There's very little overlap. <laughs> There's a few. Like uh, Iron Maiden. Imagine. Iron Maiden is one that we both agree on. No, 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 no. Let's say if you go to a classical concert, all right? Oh, like, like a so, so Mozart. Okay. Bach. Yeah, Mozart. <laughs> yeah, Bach. All right, so let's say you're sitting there in that concert hall enjoying, uh, enjoying the music in front of you. And when you think about an orchestra, if, if you think about the, the number of instruments in it, there's only one piano, yet there's like 10 violinists, right? Because in order for the music to sound great, you perhaps need a, a extra number of instruments in order to project the sound. And it's the very same way. So in, when it comes to diet, a lot of times people talk about having a balanced diet. But what we're saying in diet balance is that your dietary preference should be individualized, meaning depending on your current state of health, depending on where you are, you should be even eating different foods um, because that's, that's the way it has been um, for, for however many years that we, we have been on earth. So the reason why we use harmony is because we believe that diet and motions and training are always context dependent. And we shouldn't always just say that there's a one size fit all approach because essentially that's what we have been doing. Although we've been doing much better now over the past few years. Um, but we don't believe in equal amounts of everything. We should always look into the person and the case in front of us before deciding what's best for that individual. And, and for that reason, we, we think harmony is a bit better because ultimately, you know, we want nice music. And what that means is not 10 pianos, 10 violins, 10 drums, but it might mm. mean one piano, just two drum, well, one drummer and then 10 violinists. And, and mm. that's it. For so somebody you... who has music reaction channel, just real quick, Chris, I got to get Jordan Peterson out. You know, it's a perfect time. <laughs> okay. We have a music reaction channel because we found it's a good Trojan horse for people to get educated on things like this. So Jordan Peterson said something interesting. He said the reason people like music and the reason why music has been a part of human civilization since the beginning of time is because music, when done right, strikes the balance between order and chaos and the better the song resonates with you the more it does that to you the individual but we can all agree generally like there's a reason why there's hit songs the majority of people like them because those ones strike the perfect balance between order and chaos not too much order to make it boring but not too much chaos to where you can't understand it Wow, I mean, what, <laughs> I had to get that. Out. I just came out of your mouth. Well, I'm impressed. Seriously, I, I'm in awe. Wow, <laughs> it's not me. It's Jordan Peterson. I wish it was me. But, but you remember the whole thing, which is yeah, I did. It resonated said, with me. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Chris, we're, yeah, we're you gonna say something, Chris. Oh, uh, Dan impressed me with the Jordan Peterson thing. I forgot what I was gonna say. I should have saved it till after. But <laughs> man, like I knew that one would. Yeah, Jay, we gotta get him on the podcast. I doubt it. But he's very cancelable, so maybe he has time now for a smaller peons. Actually, I do remember. So how how do you gauge what somebody needs um, 
to fit this harmony and balance? What what do you use to make yeah. this analysis? Yeah, I think if you look into Chinese medicine in the past, so let's say today if you are to go into a practitioner, chances are they'll ask you like 50 questions or there's a pool of 50 questions that they might ask. They might ask like 10 or 12 because they look into different areas and essentially they take a few key areas into consideration. One, your the current season. So if you think about it in, in California, you know, that's it's quite nice throughout the year. So meaning that you can pretty much have the same food throughout the year. But if you think about places like Maine, for example, where it's super cold, then certain foods would not be available in the colds or in the winter. And certain foods will only be available in the summer. So as a result, if you kind of eat the wrong foods in the wrong season, then that might not give you the, the right energy. So current season is a big thing. And two, along with current season is your ge geographical uh, location because, uh, or did I say geographical location? But anyways, that's these two. So it's the geographical location, the season, um, because how you're feeling, if you're cold, if you're warm, that would also kind of drive the things you eat. And then third is how you're feeling currently, um, your body, because, you know, if you're pissed off and agitated, or if you're just kind of, you feel like you're lacking in energy, then you also require different foods um, and, and different exercise uh, regime and, and stuff like that. So basically, I would say it all depends on these three things. So ge geographical location, uh, the season, and maybe the weather and how you feel currently. So patient report would be that third item there. The third bullet is whatever the patient's telling you or the, I don't know, a patient, that's probably not the correct term, but the person in front of you. Yeah, the person or you. I mean, how, how you're feeling today should, uh, meaning, I mean, your, your real feeling, right? Not not just kind of, I crave sugar, so I should have sugar. Well, <laughs> you crave sugar, maybe it's 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 the fact that you need energy, maybe because you're a bit downcast or maybe because you're hooked to the dopamine that junk food gives you. And mm -hmm. so whenever I you have am. the urge, you should... You should just look into kind of why is it real? It's a what? What's what's the indicator? Was it indicating? But and, it could also be a habit as well. No. Yep, for sure, for sure, your habit. But you, you're gonna find that you probably crave different things at different time zones, or not different, like different time frames and, and in different seasons. So, mm -hmm. I think it's it's more about recognizing why and figure out the connection uh, that will kind of begin this behavioral change process that we we all crave you know i if the cookies are not near me i don't crave them but if i see them like i eat way more than i even like i'm not even hungry anymore i just keep eating them and chocolate chip cookies is my weakness chris knows when he buys junk at the office when we used to work together i don't crave it if it's not there but as soon as it's there i'll eat I could eat the whole thing, man. And it's like, I don't know. I get the carb crash, which is the, you know, insulin spike. And then your body gets like flooded with insulin. It's bad. So I switched to keto. <laughs> I switched to keto diet and I lost a bunch of weight. My wife too. And we try to maintain. Now we're doing intermittent fasting. I'm in the middle of like a 24 hour fast right now. Feeling good. But I overcompensate with coffee when I get hungry. So black coffee, um, more than I should, but I'm trying to find my harmony, man. You know, Andy, that's my harmony. I do Peloton in the mornings. This morning was wow. hard. 30 minutes, 30 minutes. Yeah, I told Chris. Chris does his good amount of exercise, too. He runs. What do you do, Chris? Yeah, run five days a week. Or Avoid try. getting hit five by cars, right, wow. in the crossway. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know what's funny on, on the topic of chocolate cookies uh, is the, the, <laughs> the fact that the Chinese, they, you know, there's the five elements that we, we heard of. And, and in our book, we call it the five phases because elements is a bit mystical for us, right? You know, when you, when you hear the term five elements, you think of Avatar, you think of Star Wars, <laughs> or these random life forces. So we use five phases just because these are analogies that the Chinese medicine practitioners or the, the scholars used to ex explain life. And it's more of a categorization system. So, for example, in taste, in Chinese medicine, they split food into five different tastes, right? You've got uh, sour, sweet, bitter, uh, salty, and spicy, right? And you've got five different tastes, the common taste that we experience in life. And actually, because uh, they, they actually found that different tastes are craving and different tastes signals a need in the body. So listen to this. Thousands of years ago, they already figured out that if we want sugary food or if we want sweet taste, it's an indicator that we need energy. And of course, now we know that sugar gives us energy because that's kind of what, what the body thrives on. Um, but it is quite amazing for them to figure this out thousands of years ago that, well, actually, if you're craving sugar, it just means that perhaps you, you need an extra boost. And, and, and so i would encourage people to kind of look into it as well because different cravings are a signal of need right some people will crave spicy food as well when they need energy because we know that spice also gives us that kick so um it, salt, it's, it's quite cool I crave to salt see. too salt yeah, well, is, salt is good in, yeah salt is good in uh, for retaining water so actually in chinese medicine they would encourage uh, people in the winter to perhaps get some salt just so that they they retain um, water oh, I got no problem. And when you mix salt with sweet, like salted caramel, ooh, the best. <laughs> this place in LA, uh, I forget what it's called. They closed down, but they made organic salt, salted caramel, and over there in West Hollywood, amazing place. Um, too bad it shut down. Yeah, you know that's that's a, uh, it's really interesting. All all this stuff. The my the mitochondria, I think. You know, I don't know if you've done any research on the mitochondria. They're just trying to. They're starting to discover more about it, but basically certain people's mitochondria are, I think there's like a disorder or like they don't work as well as they should. It's supposed to oxidate a phosphorylate, so they take glucose and they, 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 they combine it with oxygen and it helps your body like have more energy. And so certain people's mitochondria don't work as well. And there's a lot of research going on into this, but the, the simple fact that the mitochondria is like a captured bacteria and it's able to... Like it's just become part of us now, but it used to be a bacteria. Uh, so there's, I'm sure the Chinese, ancient Chinese, like they they weren't able to pinpoint maybe mitochondria, but they were able to pinpoint that concept. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I, I unfortunately, I don't know. I, I must be honest. I mean, I don't know too much about the mitochondria. I got something but... else, Chris. You got something? I got, I got, no, I got a go question, ahead. a good one. It just popped up. I'm doing my taxes with my CPA, okay? I know. Yeah. Okay. I know. No, 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 right. Where are we going with this? <laughs> no, we're, not, we're going. Okay, so. And this ties into Dr. Hazen as well. So when. And I, I know you brought up racism at the beginning, but. This is maybe racist, but in a good way, I think. So. He was telling me because I was telling him, yeah, you know, I'm trying to lose weight, blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know what? Just follow any Asian cuisine. Like, I've never seen a fat 
Asian person, basically, is what he said. And this guy from California, so there's a lot of Asian people there. And then our our uh, researcher friend, she's studying the the Centarians' stools uh, from o- Okinawa, is it? Yeah, Okinawa. Okinawa, yeah, in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. So she's studying their stools, and basically, they're basically both saying the same thing, one in a more racist way than the other, but. Um, that's that uh, <laughs> stereotyping. Stereotypes. There you go. It's just because Andy brought up the word racist, so I was like, okay, I couldn't think of another one. Stereotyping. It's true. I have seen fat Koreans, fat Japanese, fat Chinese, but, sure, I, but I get what you said. It's much more rare. Yes, and Andy, I was going to ask you, as somebody who's lived in both the East and the West, why? Like, what's wrong with our diet here in the West, and what makes the Asia, the, uh, the East, so much better? Yeah, I, I before I, I give you my version. I have to recommend a book uh, to everyone. It's called Deep Nutrition. No, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it. It's by a, a physician called Chris Shanahan, and she's a physician, yet she's super into nutrition, and she looks into different historical diets, and she finds commonality in all of them, and she lays out a principle that people in Okinawa people uh centurions throughout the world that the, the the dietary practices that they actually share and and actually although they might be eating different foods the way they prepare it uh but uh, things that they do are actually quite similar and and to that note you know to the difference between the american diet and let's say the chinese diet in in hong kong it is funny because in in hong kong i'm like a average size uh dude uh body body okay upper body muscle eye and uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh and and you know whenever i'm in the u.s to be like dude you're so scrawny and you're so skinny and and it's funny like a fat person here in hong kong will be like the average guy in america oh and, my and god so <laughs> i i remember when when i first went over to the u.s and obviously my parents would come visit me once in a while you know they'll come and and they'll see the scene where people inside Kroger or the, inside the grocery store, they will have to use carts to help them move because they, they cannot even go through the grocery store on their own because they have to sit in a cart in order to kind of maneuver right. around. And, and she was saying how depressing it is um, because you miss out a lot in life when you are immobile. And, and, and certainly whenever we go to a restaurant in the U.S., you know, the appetizer will be so huge in portion. I'll be halfway full by the time <laughs> I'm finished with that salad. And and so then true. of course the main course it comes. Yeah, so true. The the main course comes and you eat half of it. And you're like, <laughs> oh, let's take away. But even half of it, you're like so full because it's just all carbs. And as you well, said, you're forgetting the bread is free too. Unlimited bread and it's free. It keeps coming. Yeah, unlimited bread. Oh, guess what? Oh, free soft drink. <laughs> One dollar free refill. So before the appetizer comes, you you had like two 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 glasses of coke. And, We're so um, stupid out here, so I, man. <laughs> And, and so I think this all adds into kind of the, the, the diet because the American diet is full of processed foods, which we all know. And, and, and again, it comes down to dopamine, right? It doesn't matter if it's the food, doesn't matter if it's, I don't know, movies that people watch or whatever practice they, they get used to. It's, it's usually the dopamine that regulates our emotional need. And we know that nowadays with all the caramel uh, stuff that we eat, with all the great snacks we have, you know, they're, they're jacked, you know, they're processed. So natural foods will not be able to satisfy that craving because if you have a chip in your mouth, for example, it's usually perfectly balanced in the sense that it's both crunchy and soft, right? It's, it's sweet, but not too sweet. It's just sweet enough for you to want the next bite. And, uh, and as a result, it, 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 
it's it's crazy. It's well, they've <laughs> they've certainly figured out the perfect solution to get you hooked yeah. onto the chip, <laughs> and and so I, I think it's quite hard for the Americans for the average American to reverse because number one, we also have to recognize that most Americans that I know certainly are terrible at cooking. So, which means that when they prepare food, there's just only one way: either you bake it or you kind of pan fry it. And and you know when things don't taste great, you're not going to love it. Um, and and so I think that that's that's a big problem. So one, too much processed food. But if we look into processed food, we have to understand that that's because people don't want to invest in cooking skills. Because when you're better at cooking food, for example, if you go to Chinatown or if you go into different Asian cuisines, you're going to find that there are a lot of different tastes. Now, this taste might be interesting to some because that's usually the first comment. Oh, this smells funny. Oh, I'm not sure if I can tolerate this taste. But you have to recognize that there's a variety of tastes, and and our our taste buds we we love something new because you don't want just that same taste every single day. But yet,、mm-hmm. I think the American diet. Okay, I'm gonna have a salad today, but my salad, the taste of my salad, you, it's just gonna taste like grass unless if you put in dressing. Well, but the dressings are are horrible for you. Uh, but even with the dressings, they still taste horrible. So、um, I think a long story short, if we can figure out how to cook better at home, then I actually think we'll invest in better foods and thereby getting better health. Because I found if I just tell people to eat less processed foods, it's it's a bit、mm-hmm. useless.、Um, because、We're, how are you going to stop? We, you won't. So this begs the question. I mean. Our channel here started as a conspiracy channel. We turned it into music, and now we're turning it back to interviews. But we know why this ha- happened in the United States. So the the pharmaceutical and、um, agricultural complex joined forces, basically said, "Hey, we're gonna make. We found a way to make cheap food fast, which is great. I mean, on paper, it's great. You can eat cheap. You know." Nobody here in the U.S. is dying of hunger; they're dying of overindulgence, not of underindulgence. Like nobody here is dying of hunger. Okay, and the pharmaceutical like it because now they can sell one pill for each illness you get. So it's just like a vicious cycle. Maybe it didn't start that way like on purpose, but they quickly figured out, hey, you guys keep doing, you know, McDonald's. We'll keep doing what you're doing, and we're Pfizer. We're gonna keep doing what we do. We come out with Lipitor for your cholesterol. You know, we got lifetime customers. How long before that happens in in Asia? I mean, has it already started happening? You know, like, are you guys learning from history what not to do, like we did? I, I don't know much about like Asian culture in general. Yeah, I think the the whole world. I think there seems to be a repetitive theme, and that is the industrial revolution, right? When、uh, when it came about, there's more office jobs, and people start to sit inside an office more. They sit behind a desk, and and essentially, even if you look at hunter gatherers now on Earth, you know, the industrial revolution is slowly creeping in, meaning that they're no longer working, wearing barefoot. They're no they're no longer walking as much just because there's more office jobs coming in. So, in through that lens, we'll know that. The more civilized, the more kind of up to date the city is. Actually, the worse they will be at the phenomenon that you just mentioned. So,、uh, Hong Kong has always been one of the leading cities in Asia because it was a is a former British colony.、Uh, it is a sensitive topic now in Hong Kong because they、uh, because of political situation.、Um, yeah, but would, lo-、uh, would we'll、love to get that, into that. Would love to get into that a little bit, but don't want to get you into any kind of、uh, trouble. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, well, nowadays it is illegal to bash the government, uh, and uh, <laughs> and yeah. And so it's yeah, we be cautious. But anyway, it's a nuclear sorry, nuclear topic. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the nuclear topic. I don't want to lose my career in my life. So yeah, dynamic balance, guys. Dynamic balance. That's the book. Har- yeah. Harmony. Harmony. Gotta have harmony. Yeah, but harmony. the book is dynamic Wait, sorry, balance. I was gonna make a point, but totally <laughs> sorry. What were we talking about? Chris tends to do this a lot, but don't worry. Hey, that's more you. Yeah. Wait, oh, yeah, yeah I remember. More. I remember. I remember. Yeah, yeah. So in in Hong Kong, right? Because we used to be a former British colony, I think we we kind of get a lot of these Western practices. So meaning, uh, again, it, it's a part two to the answer to kind of the way we eat. I think we we have a balance between East and West. So we have quite a lot of Western food um, because we we do have quite quite a lot of expats, a lot of foreigners mm-hmm. uh, in Hong Kong. As the official language is English, also uh, the roads are our names in English. So it actually doesn't make sense in Chinese, most of the roads, because, you know, <laughs> they will be like, I don't know. Like uh, James's wrote. Yeah. They wrote, they, they'll, na- they'll be named according to like a British emperor or, or a, someone that's significant. And so it's a lot of times it doesn't make sense in Chinese. Um, but all that to say, I think the more underdeveloped the, the, a, a place is, the more kind of authentic historical diet, uh, you'll be able to find because if you come to civilized cities like Hong Kong, I would say it's it's quite similar to New York that you've you've got a bit of everything. Yes, sure, there is uh, the core Cantonese diet, but even then, it is hugely influenced by you know the the commercialization of of goods um, in in the U.S. So then, in the bigger cities like Hong Kong, like Seoul, I met a guy. Chris and I both met some people from Seoul, and they compared it also to New York City, and they were saying that they're starting to see. You know, more of the Western. I mean, they had any kind of food you want. They had even Mexican food in Seoul, like a lot of Mexican restaurants. So are you starting to see like more obesity there also or no? Well, I think so, especially among my friends. So I'm 30 years old. And uh, so I, I graduated my, my I graduated college in 2014. And certainly 30, 30 years old is kind of the age where you see people getting to uh, – <laughs> Size up a bit. Um, you know, they've, they've been working for five years. And and certainly, I, I see them, the office workers, you know, they sit there, they're like, oh, I need a snack, snack here and there, and I'll just eat sugary food. I don't care about the diet. Um, and so, because you want something that's convenient, like you said, Dan, right? Uh, great things about America is they have made everything so convenient. Oh, you just need to put it in the microwave. And the more convenient it is, the, the worse it is for your health. And, and so I think nowadays we're starting to see a lot uh, more obese people. But here's where I find problems uh, uh, as well is we know that because America is so great. So it, the, the greatest scientific discoveries almost all happen in, in the U.S. and the scientific advancement. And so a lot of times the U.S. is seen as the gold standard for everything, including nutrition. Right? If you think about the perfect meal, everybody in the U.S. knows that the U.S. diet is horrible. I mean, we, everyone knows that it's, it's, it's a fact that the yeah. U.S. diet, number one, there's, there, there isn't a U.S. diet. It's just, just whatever. And, and yet when it comes to health and fitness, people use American diet as the gold standard, right? You know, speaking of the guy from Seoul, if you look into Korean diet, I'm not sure how familiar you guys uh, are with the Korean diet, but usually there'll be rice, there'll be kimchi, like these uh, marinated vegetables, and then there'll be like a bone broth or something. So there's a lot of meat, there is fermented vegetable, there's rice. Uh, that's because Korea is quite cold. So in the past, they would have to ferment the vegetables just to kind of keep them from rotting uh, because it's quite hard to grow vegetables and they can keep it for a long time. 
So if you think about the modern diet, then certainly in Korea they will be waiting, eating way too much carbs. Because uh, in 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 the West now, well, with different diets available, people would be cutting down on carbs and and eating more protein and such. But that would be in a way going against the culture a little bit. And, and so uh, I think we're starting to see this conflict between the historical diet and kind of what's what's happening in the West. And and to me. That's just my personal opinion, but I I think it'll be quite depressing if we all kind of eat the same diet and same food because when we oh, go no. traveling, the first thing you want to see is oh, what do the locals eat? I want to check this out. You know, yeah. when I go to California, I love the taco trucks because thanks oh, to me, that's kind God. of part of just the local culture. But for one day, if someone's like, oh, this is unhealthy, I'm just gonna take that away. I'll I'll serve you chicken breasts. Then you know, I'm never well, gonna go to California anymore. Sure, and it's getting worse than that. I mean, they're they're pushing really that everything's going to be processed here soon enough, right? They're, they don't want you eating wholesome diet at all in the States anymore. No more poultry, no more, well, no more uh, meat whatsoever. Uh, Bill Gates has his way. Um, we're going to be eating uh, processed uh, burgers made of worms and soy. Yeah. Well, let's not get yeah. Andy in trouble, man. Oh, Bill Gates yeah, ain't going to get him in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> he's fat. Have you seen Bill Gates lately? He's fat. Yeah, he's he's really eating a lot of his own processed on. foods. He needs Andy. Like he needs to like fly to Hong Kong and get Andy's like one-on-one service because dudes talk to a little bit about your business. Like what do you what do you do exactly? Like how do you, do you scale it at all, or is it just individualized one-on-one? What's your as aspirations for growing it? All this kind of stuff. You're a young guy, man. Yeah. I'm ten years older than you. Oh, thanks, thanks. You graduated uh, 14, I, I graduated 04. Oh, wow. Exactly 10 years. So yeah. I do personal training. I, I do group training, although not as much anymore, only for special events. And I do corporate workshops and mm-hmm. I do seminars. I do talks. So in terms of uh, sourcing, I do have a, tra- a few trainers kind of uh, doing training some of my clients because my passion now is obviously to share my philosophy and thankfully, there has been a few trainers who are on the same page as me uh, because we, we all know that I don't want to say it's an apprenticeship. I just want to say that this partnership only works when kind of we believe in each other uh, because I've seen way too many uh, business practices in the fitness industry where let's say a coach, you know, he or she just trains up 10 other coaches, but they just end up taking the business. So for me, I've been changing my perspective in that, you know, I'm really trying to help those coaches who are coming into play by sharing my experience and the way I look at problems and train clients. So if they can learn from it, uh, they will automatically partner with me or they'll continue to partner with me because we know that when you value something, you just do that. So that's what I've been doing when it comes to kind of training the people that I have been mentoring. And then uh, my aspirations wise, I'm focusing a lot on my corporate uh, workshops. So I'm, I'm, Actually, right after this call, I'm meeting with uh, a law firm, an international law firm in, throughout the world. They're, they have offices all around the world. And we're going to talk about some wellness initiatives that they're looking into because uh, that's kind of what I, I want to get into. I want to help bigger companies um, kind of just kind of achieve better health because if I'm just training one client physically, you know, I'm not, although I'm significantly impacting the person I'm training, uh, if I can have a bigger platform, and in reality, it's those who are sitting behind a desk that is experiencing lower back discomfort, who's having anxiety, who's having trouble sleeping, who's having all these health issues that needs kind of 
my help or any any expert's help. And so that's kind of who I, I want to target. And that'll be my emphasis over the next few years. That's awesome, man. Chris, any, uh, anything yeah, sure. else? Uh, what, do you, what do you recommend for sleep? What do you recommend to get a better night's sleep? So uh, yeah. I use myself for an example. The last six months, I just have been sleeping like crap. So what do you, what do you recommend for that? Yeah, first of all, I have to build some credibility, right? Who am I to talk about sleep? I, I used to suffer from anxiety, general anxiety disorder. So I, mm-hmm. I started taking medication when I was 13 years old. At just age 13, I went wow. to the, a, a really famous psychiatrist in Hong Kong. At the time, that was 2003. You know, we were paying 500 US dollars for a session uh, plus well, meds for one session. We, we go every today. single week too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, uh, so my parents really did care. They wanted to help. But at the same time, I don't think they, they chose the right avenue through medication. But anyways... So I, I've struggled with it for eight, nine years. Uh, there's been times where I had to take pills, sleeping pills, all that. Uh, but what I found was actually through minimizing my distractions. I mean, I'm now pill-free, so I haven't been taking medications. I haven't been needing it for, uh, for the past year. And what I found is minimizing my distraction really helps. So less screen time, uh, especially before bed. You know, a half an hour before bed, I usually read a book, I, I play my guitar, I do some music, I just read. Uh, what I found is if I kind of live the historical way of living, I read physical books, read newspaper, then that really helps my mind to downregulate, especially because I'm still prone to anxiety, kind of like Dan, you know, I, I sit there sometimes and I, I get triggered easily. And mm-hmm. if I can utilize my breathing techniques, then it, it, it definitely helps. Uh, but the last last tip that I found most useful is it's this thing called sleeping opportunity. So a lot of times we, we know that we should be getting, you know, seven to nine hours of sleep or whatever. Um, but mm-hmm. the problem is people mistake that with, oh, we should be in bed for seven hours. No, that's not what the research, oh, that's not what the recommendation <laughs> is. The recommendation is we should stay asleep, which means that we need to give ourselves more opportunity to fall asleep because I think the expectation that we will lay there and just fall asleep immediately, I think that's, an unrealistic expectation because sometimes it takes people longer to fall asleep because it takes longer to downregulate. So I, I like to give myself at least eight hours of sleeping opportunity at least. So I, I'll be in bed for eight hours. If I fall asleep for seven hours, it, it, it's fine. And that's kind of realistic. Um, mm, and then, right. yeah. So for me, Makes sense. downregulate less water uh, uh, so that I don't wake up because I, I want to pee. And, you know, when, even now, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I get anxious because I was like, because I'm like, why am I waking up in the middle of the night? That's going to oh, impact my performance the next day. Yeah. Um, so I would say, yeah, just minimize your distractions. Makes sense. I just bought the book, Dynamic Balance. Link will be underneath. I know you got to go soon, but what we'd like to do something fun on this show, if you can, and put you on the spot too, but if you can think of, in tribute to our reaction channel, Uh-oh. if you can think of a music song, like something short, like maybe three minutes, five minutes. You know, we're Americans. We want quick, fast, uh, three to five minute song video I can react to on YouTube and we play it and then what, what, we can end fav- that way. What's your favorite? Um, who would Che? I can't remember. What's his yeah, name? Yeah, but we already know him. We already know him. So somebody yeah, well, like you think. What's your favorite song by him? Oh yeah, okay. By who? 
By who? Sorry, my favorite artist. Who? What's his name? Chen Yu. Chen Yu. Chen Yu. Yes. It's like the most famous Chinese artist um, on the uh, on the planet. Famous on the planet. Jay Chow. Have you guys heard? No. Say let's Jay do Chow. it. How you spell this? Let's do it. J A Y and then C H O U. J A Y C H O U. And uh, I see a bunch of. Okay, blue and white. That's a good one. Blue. Blue His and song white. Called the blue and white. Blue and white. You should uh, do sport and like do snow. the most popular. Let's do Jay Chow most popular video. Um, uh, that's the one. Blue and white. Forty million views nine years ago. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me uh, let me let me look it up just so I. Maybe I won't look it up. Let's see. Jay Chu. Blue and. Blue and check white. it out. Really? Yeah, check it out. That's the one. I said forty. All right, I'll check it out too. I have no idea what you're gonna play, but let's check it out. I Do you know this guy? Well. Is this the guy, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I know this guy. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay, so this is called Blue and White. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's I translation, mean, translation, right? Yeah, translated. I don't, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Here we go. Let me know if you can hear it. You can hear it? Yep. This is sick already. Well, this is sick. I can tell Dan might be very good at this instrument. <laughs> should, yeah, I should look into it. Hey, you know, fun fact: in in Hong Sorry. Kong, uh, we have we have a lot of tiger moms, and yeah. uh, they when when they go learn instruments, they, they like to find the most unique instrument ever, so that when they go study, they could say something different because everyone plays an instrument. So the I one mean, you just saw there is a popular choice. I know we're already only twenty two seconds in, but it's, I'm amazed by this song already. And it, you, by the way, feel free to want to pause anytime. Just time out, twenty second time out, coach. Um, but yeah, this is amazing, uh, Andy. Thank you for this. Wait, how about sorry, sorry. I don't know what the hell they're saying, but they captivate me already. <laughs> Wait, are we are we reacting to it as the music goes on? Or are we saving our comments to after? No, you can you can react. Whatever you want, whatever you want, man. I was gonna say, you know, I I, I don't know how familiar you guys with music, but this is uh, if you think about most Chinese music is it's written using the pentatonic scale. So you know how like when you listen to this song, there's kind of this like Chinese vibe to it, and that's yeah. because. So are you guys familiar with the piano? Well, are you guys familiar with the looks of a piano? So yeah. there's black and white keys. Yeah. So the pentatonic scale is basically people using the black keys only. Oh, wow. I know that. Interesting. Yeah. So instead, so in, in the full scale, so there's uh, the, there's seven notes. So now instead of the seven notes, they're, they're only using the five black notes. And, and that's why it gives off that vibe. Interesting. <laughs> fun fact. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's beyond fun fact. Wow. We need to do more Chinese shits on this show, Chris. This is amazing. <laughs> Each time we do it, we're like new fans. We both yep. became fans well, of that dude who sing nunchucks, the rapper. Yeah. Hua Chin Yu, right? Hua Chin Yu, yeah, but we're saying it's so bad. Uh, are it's... you are you familiar with who we're talking about, Andy? 
No, because no, the way no we're idea. saying it, okay, we sound so, like Klingons. Sure, when this is over, bring up one of his popular videos, just so you can see two seconds. So, Man, Andy's got to go meet with some lawyers yeah, after this. I know, this. I know. Yeah. We gotta get so you know this guy he's known for i guess integrating the chinese scale the the the, the five uh five notes that i just talked to you about with kind of the popular uh, musical progressions and and that's why there's both this pop feeling and this chinese feeling to the song yeah you, yeah, you definitely can feel the pop too this is Absolutely. great man like yeah i got so many comments dude we don't have enough time but geez if it wasn't for those lawyers we would <laughs> I could tell he's got bars too. What's that? Oh, sorry, I said they changed the key of the song. Just yeah, comment, man. Commentary, commentary it's, on the song. It's all, it's all these subtle things. Like, and I know this is nine years old, but is this kind of music like still what's popular in China in mainland? No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, uh, I think this. Yeah, I think nowadays it's you know K-pop. It's also in the U.S. with all. But the, don't tell like, me they're doing like uh, trap music. There are mumble rap in China too. Well, they are. I mean, it seems to be the same music everywhere. I mean, I was. <laughs> but it's not like a hits, right? Please tell me no. I well, I think well, you know, the other day I was listening. <laughs> I was just watching YouTube, and Snoop Dogg was there, and he was like, you know, everyone just raps the same. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of the same. Whereas if you think about music 20 years ago, there's more variety. You know, you know what's crazy? I mean, I don't know if this will blow your mind like the Jordan Peterson thing, but um, DMT, so um, the God molecule that wakes your pineal gland, supposedly. Um, so, multiple people have anecdotally shared the same story. It's that when they're on this trip, they see these elves, 
and these elves control these clocks and the clocks are like the rhythms and one guy talked to i saw this on joe rogan one guy talked to one of these elves during the the trip most of the time the elves leave you can't you can't talk to them this dude somehow is like his fourth or fifth trip he talked to one of the elves and he said the elf said life is like music all right you have the verse then you have the chorus then you have the verse then you have the chorus and he said so your life is in patterns because yes there's predispositions to a chorus so you have your repeating elements of your life but you get to write your verse and the dude's mind was blown like you know he came oh, back okay. like a changed person but this is back to our connection with music man and harmony mm-hmm Wow, so you're both a scientist, a guru, and a philosopher. So what are you telling me? I'm a you're human a being, man. I'm a human like being. I appreciate teacher. music. Yeah, not a wise teacher. <laughs> Definitely not a wise teacher, but I just sees there's something about music. We have to figure it out. Somebody's going to figure something out. <laughs> See that part right there? That part slaps. That last part right there, what that slap? What is that? Um, is that the no, instrument no, you were telling us from the beginning? No, I didn't. I didn't hear the slap. Uh, I'll have to look into. No, no, it's it no, just no. like it's freaking it, awesome. That's basically what I mean. Like rap you know, terminology. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, sorry. Yeah. Oh, I just sorry. get too carried away with it. You know, it's amazing that last sound. You know, dun, 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 dun. What what instrument is that? Is that the one from the beginning? You said. I I, I didn't hear that actually. Sick, yeah, dude. no idea. So, anyways, what do you think, Chris? It was great. I really liked it. But before he goes, I'm really curious if he's heard of the other dude. Of course, he has. Yeah, you're you're just saying it's so it. bad. Play it, dude. Yeah, you're saying it right it's so bad. I mean, okay, uh, you say it better. I can't say it better. I'm not gonna pretend <laughs> I can. Play, but play the link. I was just gonna give up. So, okay, here we go. Hold on. Let me let the ad skip. Chris and Dan show everybody. And if you're listening on random music from the Klingo Charles Guru, you're probably like, what the hell am I hearing? But <laughs> you're hearing some good shit, guys. Okay. You're hearing some good stuff. <laughs> it's good. This dude. So, no? Are we pronouncing it right? No, I have no idea who this is, man. Dude, this no guy's a fucking legend. Is. We're telling you, as Americans, who this dude is. Yeah, this is yeah, like the most popular. Me, <laughs> yeah. How do you pronounce you want like name? one minute? Do you have one minute? Who would you do? You have one minute? Yeah, minute. It would like make my day if I can introduce this to you. I will tell my grandkids about this. <laughs> yeah, please do. All right. Let's do some. A legend. I 
疼着的，不爱着的，你要去了，不要不要。And he, he combines all styles into one song. Like, he's a rapper. He's a rapper. He's a singer. He's a rapper. He's a singer. He's like Drake, but even bigger. Yeah, like rock, wow. pop, right? Yeah, rap, rock, and dude, pop, all into one. I, I know you get those lawyers coming up, but this dude like starts spitting bars. Dude. Yeah, we, Look please, at please. Yeah, we need to see him spitting the bars. All right, let's go. I think this is the one. I think. I think. Nah, he's not spitting bars here. In some song, he spits bars. Let's see. No song here. Nah. This is not one where he spits bars, but man, like if you didn't have to go, we would just go down this rabbit hole because we actually reacted to two of his songs where he raps and sings like this in the middle of the song. Fucking Chi hey, Chinese love this dude. One, like, we have to do one in the future where we react. We have to, man. And it's amazing, man. Um, yeah, the name of the song dance fake monk. I know it's too fake right monk, now. fake monk, fake monk. Fake you monk. have to, you have to download this. You're gonna be amazed. I can't believe. I can't believe. Because sometimes but... Chinese uh, Chinese shows are a bit uh, sing uh, singing shows are a bit harder to watch because there's a rumor that the audience they get paid according to their reaction. So if you the next time when you look at a Chinese <laughs> show videos, you find that they're always crying. I mean the audience ah. or they're always singing along because if they can sing along, they'll get paid extra dollar. And if they're crying, they'll get it. They'll get paid. So you find that on whatever song that you're listening to, there's a very dramatic reaction from the audience ah they're sneaky but yeah american idol does that too they hire actors for the crowd um my yeah. wife does makeup and she's like hey we're watching american idol she's like i did that girl's makeup before she's a freaking actress or a wannabe actor <laughs> that's yeah, all the I same guess they're in training they must be in training or something you know that they're, they're probably yeah in school and nobody go out there and pretend like they're trying to break in break into the industry but dynamic balance if we can do another hour yeah. we could well how can i have to have you on again um, and do some Hua Chen Yu. I know that's not the way you say it, but how do you uh, say it? How do you say it the way it was? No, probably. Yeah. I think that I, I think you got it right. That would have been how I pronounced it. I just oh, maybe we that. we know he just didn't know who he was. <laughs> there yeah, we go. I just didn't know who he was. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Kudos to us for once. Okay. Well, dynamic balance, Andy Chan. Thank you so much, man. Um, you got to connect. Like, I'm gonna email you afterwards. I want your LinkedIn, Instagram, all that stuff, and we're gonna put this the book, dynamic balance, in the show notes. Thank you so much, Andy. I know you got to go get that, you know, get that corporate client. Go out there and do it. And um, thank you. Thank you, Andy. It was very thank nice you so much for having you. us, great, guys. Great it, conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. I doubt you'll ever be on a podcast like this again. I doubt it. I mean, it's so fun. I mean, we get to make fun of Chris. We get to, get to listen <laughs> That's to the best part. <laughs> thank you andy dynamic balance everybody i just ordered it i'm getting it sunday uh convenience talk to you later like subscribe comment share bye-bye bye-bye